This is an ABC podcast. I'm a single mum of four kids. They are nine, eight, six and five. Isolation so far has been a mixture of watching them play nice towards each other and me having to break up World War Three over intrusions of airspace and sight lines. Who looks out whose window while we're in a car? The oldest boy, the 17-year-old, likes to think he's a parent. He insists on pushing buttons of his little sister. Also, he's very black and white and she has very grey areas. So when she's doing something that he doesn't approve of, he will act like a parent. This causes a lot of friction in our house and drives us insane. This went how we're having quite the argument, beating each other up, and the four-year-old drops a not very nice word right in the middle of it, screaming at his brother, while my husband's on the conference call and I'm feeding the baby. How's it going, keeping the peace at your place right now? (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Hi, I'm Maggie Dent, and in this Parental as Anything, I'll help you understand and manage the conflict that's arising in homes right across Australia. Whether it's cabin fever, sibling rivalry, partners or exes fed up with each other, it's all happening. So let's just take a look at how we can all get along. When you're a kid with brothers or sisters, fighting with them can be a bit like squeezing a pimple. You know, you shouldn't, but you just can't help yourself. Sibling rivalry is pretty normal because each child is competing for limited resources, their parents. However, when you add boredom, hidden anxiety about our crazy world, months at home with no other outlets like sport or playgrounds or visiting mates, well, possibly get ready for World War Three. Dr Justin Coulson is a parenting educator and author and a dad to six daughters, so he definitely sees his fair share of sibling showdowns. Justin, we're all stuck at home together. Is there a silver bullet that stops siblings from fighting? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always say to parents, uh, we shouldn't be surprised that the kids are fighting with each other. And the reason for that is, uh, you, you remember, you probably fought with your siblings firstly. But, but secondly, as an adult, if you're in a somewhat functioning adult relationship with a significant other you know and this this is the person that you've promised to have and to hold until death of your part you know you're going to love them forever uh, except that you get on each other's nerves every couple of hours and and in isolation maybe it's even more often than that so we can't even get along well with the person that we've chosen to live with and our children well maggie they didn't choose their siblings they didn't ask to live in the same bedroom they didn't ask to breathe the same air it's a little bit unfair to expect that they're going to, like you said, compete for limited resources in a completely civil way when they have no emotional or behavioural regulation skills, when they don't have the language capacity to actually communicate. Wouldn't it be great if the children could actually articulate, well, at the moment I'm feeling a little bit concerned, maybe a touch agitated, because my little brother, I mean, that's not what happens, right? No. So it's not just siblings who are fighting. Some people are spending more time, like you said, with their intimate partner now than they ever have. And yeah, we, we're not perfect people, are we? So how do we avoid turning our own stress into those fights with our partner, our parents or our children? What are your top tips there? What seems to work really well 
for our children and for our partners is having some sort of a routine. We need to be able to manage ourselves well so that we can do well with our children. And and I recommend being really flexible around that routine. So highlight maybe three or four priorities for the day. The second thing that I would say is lower your expectations. In fact, that might be a common theme of our conversation, Maggie. (laughs) In isolation, when everything is so concentrated, when we are literally living in each other's back pockets all day, every day, I think we've got to be a bit more charitable to one another, a little bit more compassionate and lowered expectations can really help. Oh, get them involved in a common cause. It's incredible how your enemy becomes your ally when you're working together to achieve an outcome. It might be a project that you're working on around the house. It could be a game. But helping one another can be a really outstanding way to to overcome that conflict. And, and, and obviously there's some pretty powerful corollaries there between the kids and ourselves wouldn't it be great if we as adults could be in a good routine and be clear on what our priorities are if we could be compassionate with what with one another and have lower expectations and if we could work together as allies in a common cause that is actually getting through this in fact there's two other things that go along with this the first thing that i would say is if things are tense take that step back create some psychological distance and find a way to say thank you to your partner for everything that they do for you The only other thing I would say is find ways that you can help. Find ways that you can serve your partner. Find ways that you can be kind. Find ways that you can lighten their load. Because as you do that, they will feel appreciated. They will feel recognized, validated, and acknowledged. And boy, that's so much better than the opposite. It sure is. Okay, now run me through. You can hear two siblings yelling um, and making very loud noises that obviously display conflict in the family room. Can you walk out, you know, your strategy, Justin, at working at resolving that? Well, we we need to remember that all relationships really are built on a process of um, conflict and separation and restoration. Even with the people that we love the most, we go through this. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to have conflict and challenge. This is part of being a human and learning to get along with other people. What do we do about it? First of all, if the children are hurting each other, we've got to intervene. We've got to separate them, make sure that nobody's bleeding and console the child who has been injured or, or who you know looks like they've come off the worst for wear in the interaction. Hopefully, the kids aren't physically assaulting each other, but the conflict is real life. You know, This actually happens. Uh, I think that the number one thing that we can do is focus on emotions more than fixing the problem. Let's say... Uh, Master 10 is giving Miss 7 a hard time. Uh, And we'll call him Jacob and we'll call her Ashley, okay? So we run into the room and we we rescue Ashley to make sure that Jacob's not actually causing any harm or damage. Ashley's okay. She's a little unsettled. She's a little sad. Uh, She feels like her relationship with her big brother is broken, but she'll be okay. So once we've made sure she's all right and we've given her a hug... We turn around and we say, hey, Jacob, it sounds like you were really upset a little while ago. It sounds like you were so frustrated with Ashley. It sounds like you were just having the worst time together. Now, we're not saying anything he did was okay. All we're doing is we're naming his emotions and we're kind of getting curious about, well, what made you so mad? It sounds like you really had a, a conflict that is unusual for the two of you. We're stepping in gently and just exploring what happened for him emotionally. And, and Maggie, this is the big thing that I can't emphasize enough. We spend so much time trying to fix things. 
And our job as parents is not to fix stuff most of the time. Every now and again we have to, but most of the time it's not to fix. It's just to be in the moment. It's just to be in the emotion with our child. So Jacob says, yeah, she did this and it made me really angry. And we don't actually argue with them. And we don't get too caught up in the digging. All we do, Maggie, is we say, that made you so frustrated. That made you so upset. That made you so annoyed. You get really irritable when that happens, don't you? We come up with a big list of words that describe the emotion that Jacob's feeling. And we just focus on the emotion. Full stop, end of story. We don't try to fix it. We just sit with the emotion until he's calm. Because once he feels understood enough, it'll be okay. And then my next favorite thing to do once they're calm is say, well, what do you think we should do? Do you think we can go out and make everything right? And you empower your kids to come up with a solution. Oh, and by the way, don't force your kids to apologize because I've been there, right? I, I remember I got cranky at my sister one time and I called her a stupid idiot. My mum heard and she was so cranky. She said, Justin, you need to apologize. And I said, fine, Karina, I'm sorry. You're a stupid idiot. <laughs> because cause we get into this thing where we're forcing our kids to lie when we say, say sorry. And they say, sorry, and they're not sorry. But if we just sit in that emotion for as long as it takes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, and then we say, oh, well, what do you think we should do? They're probably going to say, oh, I'm so sorry. And you can say, well, that's, that's a great idea. When you're ready, I think that'd be a really nice thing to do. My eldest son, who is in year 12 and studying some ATAR subjects, had a massive uh, English assessment due on the Friday morning and, quite frankly, hasn't been doing so well. So I was feeling enormous pressure in being able to support him. So... I came home from work that day and I said to my husband, help me um, figure out whether or not how I'm feeling about all of this is actually warranted because I was feeling so cross that the school's expectations were as high as they were a week before. I could tell that he was a lot less concerned about it than me. He had this viewpoint of it'll all work out, it's all going to work out. And I was getting really upset with him and it just kind of escalated to the point where he was just saying to me, in quite heated tones. He's like, there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of dead bodies piling up in New York right now and you need to put this whole thing back into perspective. You know what? He was actually right. I didn't see it at the time. I felt like he just couldn't really grasp the stress that I was under and basically it ended up escalating into a fight. Justin, there are very few places to hide at the moment when we're all stuck at home. So what's your advice to parents around fighting or expressing conflict in front of children? I think that we really do want to minimise it if we can, Maggie. I mean, obviously life happens and things get tricky, but research is pretty clear. Children who live in homes where conflict is uh, high uh, and where, where things can be pretty volatile, those kids will tend to struggle. So what I would suggest is... Let your kids know it's okay to disagree. Uh, you might even acknowledge, okay, this isn't working. We're seeing this differently. And then say to the kids, okay, uh, go, go and watch ABC Kids and we'll be back in 15 minutes. We've just got to work this out. The other thing that you can do is go for a walk, get some exercise, get some fresh air. Sometimes that's the best thing that you can do. I, but I would, I would really say tread carefully because it's not great for the kids to be seeing conflict. It's it's good for them to see resolution. It's good for them to see us uh, struggling with ideas together. And remember, if somebody's angry, it's usually because of either fear or sadness. 
maybe they're feeling angry with you because they're not able to connect because they're trying to work from home or you're trying to work from home and it's just all so stressful. Or maybe there's fear because you're going off to work every day and they don't know if you're going to bring coronavirus home with you. We need to, again, be able to step into their shoes and say, wow, you're really stressed out about this. How can I help? All of us are experiencing heightened levels of stress at the moment and part of it's the uncertainty and some of it is uh, processing grief from all sorts of things that we have lost. So I would love you to address some coping strategies possibly for families, separated families or kind of blended families where there, there might already be some tension. This is a really tricky one. Here's what I recommend. First of all, you want to treat your ex like you would a business client. See, we don't tend to wake up at two o'clock in the morning and send text messages to our business clients like, you suck, get out of my life. Uh, we, we tend to be much more polite to our clients. Um, and I think that that's really important that we treat our ex the way we would a valued client at work. We have them at a professional and appropriate distance, but we need to communicate with them and we do so in an appropriate way. A couple of other tips no matter how much baggage there is in that relationship and no matter how much challenge there is in the relationship, I would say kids first. You've, you've both got to remember, no matter how hard it is, kids first. Second thing, if you've made commitments, keep the commitments. Those commitments matter. Those commitments are a part of what you've agreed to, to, to look after the kids and put the kids first. So keep your commitments. Third thing, uh, be flexible because the reality is with the uh, government guidelines – Sometimes it might not be possible to do everything that you have previously committed to or your partner might be letting you down a little bit as well. So be flexible. However, if they're not willing to be flexible or if they're refusing to keep the guidelines, you know, if the kids come home and say, oh, yeah, we went and did X, Y, and Z, and you know that that stuff's totally out of the question and completely unallowed, make sure that you're following the guidelines, follow any court orders, and if there's problems, go and seek a court order. I mean, this is what the courts are for, and they are actually operational right now because there are some people who just don't seem to know how to play the game fair. So go and seek a court order because you've got to protect your kids. Kids have got to come first. At the end of the day, we're, we're in this together, and we need to treat our ex as though they're in this with us because they are. I'm a firm believer in um, the metaphor of having a love cup. How do we learn what actually works filling up our children's love cups and our partner's love cups because it's not always the same way that we'd like our own love cup filled up. Their kids are going to be much more challenging when they're one of five things, H-A-L-T-S, HALT. Children are going to be challenging when they're hungry, angry, lonely, tired or stressed. No matter what you do, trying to fill their love cups when they're any of those things is going to be difficult. But I think that there are two universal languages. They matter for every human that I've ever met. The first of them is the love cup of time. We just, I, I say this all the time, just like dollars are the currency of our economy, connection is the currency of our relationships. So if your relationships aren't going so well, I know that you're probably living in the same house nonstop at the moment, but that doesn't mean you're connecting. Find ways to connect, find ways to do things together that are more about the relationship and less about telling people what to do and when to do it and why haven't you done it already. And the other thing that I think is so valuable is just understanding, having someone who doesn't try to fix everything but just says, yeah, that's really tough. Wow, you're really struggling with that. Yeah, that, that must be a really difficult situation to be in. Having someone who's there for you is, is incredible. My other two favorites really quickly are smile 
just like when was the last time you really smiled at your kids at home? Because <laughs> we don't smile at our children very much. Some of us, we get a little bit tense and, and touch, squeeze their elbow, touch them on the shoulder, give them a hug. This sort of stuff fills love cups. It's all about connection. I love that. And I think it's the micro connections more often during times of stress. And that's for our partner as well. Just the rub on the shoulder or the hug in the kitchen. Or I think they're the little things that, that will make a difference at lowering that stress level we're all living in. Do you think you can make it through this crisis with your love for each other still intact? Remember, we are living in a time of craziness uncertainty and unpredictability so no one is perfect we're all doing the best we can and your kids and your partners and your exes we are all trying to do the best we can just accept that you can't prevent every single fight that's unrealistic what you can do is the things that lower stress that build positive neurochemicals around home and then you can work on resolving the fight sooner so that those hurt feelings don't fester and grow. No matter whether it's between the kids or you, take a breath and state the obvious. Wow, it seems like we have a problem, Houston. This creates a pause and a way that we can redirect conflict away from making it worse, because that's the last thing we need. Then everybody needs to be heard, no matter whether you're a three-year-old a 14-year-old or a 45-year-old. We need to be heard because something's not working for us. And then we need to make sure we listen. And a family meeting can be helpful where only one person speaks at a time. Everyone, including your young children, is asked to seek some sort of solution to whatever it is that's niggling the family. Maybe have the next meeting just 24 hours later and explore the options and choose one that you're going to try. Connectedness is the key to resolving conflict before it starts. When we remove the hurry out of life, maybe we can find the hidden potential of being with our kids and our partners. So if you're looking for a new family ritual that promotes a bit of quality time, maybe you can turn off the telly and listen to a podcast together. It could be like in the olden days when families gathered around the wireless for the radio play, but much, much cooler and very 2020. If your kids are little, try Noisy by Nature, which is all about noises animals make. Your teenagers might like ABC Comedy Presents. And if you're a lady, have a listen to Ladies We Need to Talk. We've made a few episodes that'll help you get through the coronavirus time. Aim for survival over perfection. This is not a time to be trying to reach your best heights, either as a parent or as a worker or, or in, any, in any sense. We're actually talking about survival, about how to get through, how to survive a marathon. I think a lot of people are sort of focused on, well, how can we make this time, you know, perfect? How can we have these neat schedules for ourselves and our kids and, you know, still keep everything going exactly as normal? But it's not normal. You can listen to Ladies We Need to Talk and the other podcasts for free on the ABC Listen app 
or podcast apps like Apple and Google. Next time on Parental as Anything, one thing that's just as tough as having people to fight with is going through this alone. What's it like for only children and single parents in a world where socialising has been cancelled? That's next time on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent.